want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 13, if you would please. 1 Samuel chapter number 13, starting on Sunday morning, going through last evening. Every message dealt with end time events. Prophetic truth. I've been preaching really since January, almost every service, not exclusively, but almost every service on Bible prophecy, trying to help folks understand the times in which we're living, but also trying to help them understand that Jesus hasn't come back yet, which means if you know the Lord as your Savior, we're here for a reason. We've got something that God wants us to do. There's a mission that we're supposed to accomplish. And that mission is getting the gospel of Jesus to those that do not yet know him and standing faithfully for righteousness and letting God use us in amazing ways in these strategic days. And so tonight, I want to go to a a familiar passage of Scripture, probably to many of you. It's not a prophetic passage, but I want to hone in on where do we go from here. Now, what do we do from here? Pastor said it, and I pray it's true that the church is going to be better after these days, going to be better prepared after this time that we spent together. And that is certainly my prayer. If that's going to be the case, then tonight's message is absolutely essential. So I want you to look, if you would please, at 1 Samuel chapter number 13. Now let me just, before I read a couple of verses from there, let me explain what's going on. In 1 Samuel 13, Samuel the prophet has said to Saul, the king of Israel, I want you to go and I want you to tarry at a certain place and I'm going to meet you there. Well, Saul goes there and he tarries seven days. Actually, Samuel had said, I'll be there within the seven-day time frame. Well, the seven days kind of come and go, and it's drawing to the end of the seventh day, and Samuel hasn't arrived yet, and Saul does a very foolish thing. He intrudes into an office that is not his to function in. He is the king, but he intrudes into the priest's office and he calls for a sacrifice to be brought. And he, as king, not a priest, offers a sacrifice. And as the smoke and the fire is ascending up off the sacrifice, Samuel arrives. How many of you remember the story? Samuel says to Saul, what in the world are you doing? Now, that's the modern wording of it. He doesn't say it quite like that, but he, in essence, is asking, what in the world are you doing? And I want you to see the motivation that King Saul uses for disobeying God and doing something he shouldn't have done. Look at verse 11 of 1 Samuel chapter number 13. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? What are you doing? Look at Saul's response. And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. Can I put that in modern vernacular? I saw that my poll numbers were dropping a little bit. Everybody with me? Is anybody in here as tired as I am of people governing by poll instead of governing by principle? Yeah, I saw the people were scattered from me. My poll numbers were dropping a little bit. He goes on and says, so I forced myself. I didn't want to do it, but I made myself do it, and I offered a sacrifice. What a tragic decision. I want you to see what Samuel says. There's no way to soft pedal this. There's no way to minimize the impact of what's just happened. So Samuel just tells it like it is. Preacher, I'm sure if there'd been an internet, some people have been upset with Samuel just because he spoke the truth. Listen, I learned a long time ago, I'm not gonna offend anybody just hopefully with my personality because I love people. If you know me, you know I do. I love being around people. But here's the thing. Truth sometimes divides. Can I hear an amen? Sometimes it'll divide you from members of your own family. 
It'll certainly divide you from somebody that maybe doesn't even know you and has never met you and makes a comment on Facebook. But here's the deal. That's okay. We have to stand for the truth. I want you to see what Samuel says to Saul. Look at verse 13 of 1 Samuel 13. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Wow, that's direct, isn't it? Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now, please note this, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. In other words, Saul, if you just obeyed the Lord, if you'd have just done right, it wouldn't just been you that was king. It'd be your son, Jonathan, and it'd been his son after him, and your throne would have been forever upon Israel. Wow. Can I say something, guys? When you're tempted to look at pornography on the internet, I want you to understand something. It's not just you that's going to be affected by that. You're literally taking into your hands the potential to destroy your marriage and your home. The consequences long-term of a single decision like Saul's here is very serious. Listen, sir. You and your family would have sat on the throne forever. But your disobedience has cost it all. No soft way to say that. Look at verse 14. But now, this is Samuel still speaking to Saul, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. It's over. You're done. Now he's not out of office yet. But your leadership's done, sir. Look what else Samuel says. The Lord, middle of verse 14, hath sought him a man after his own heart. Do you know the Bible says this? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth. God is looking for someone through whom he can show himself strong. Fellas, may I say this? Ladies, may I say this tonight? Do you know God is looking right here tonight at Calvary Baptist Church in Union Grove, North Carolina, and he's searching to see if he can find somebody who'll be just like the man that God found here in 1 Samuel 13, a person, an individual, a man, a woman with a heart after the very heart of God. Got a question for you. What does an individual with a heart after the heart of God look like? Well, I want to answer that for you because I'm glad you asked it. Look at 1 Samuel chapter number 17, if you would, please. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. I want you to see the young man that God found to replace King Saul, this young man that has a heart after the very heart of God. I want you to see what this looks like in the flesh. It's amazing to me. Look at 1 Samuel 17 verse 13. Now David, here's the young man, here it is. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he, Jesse, had eight sons and the man, the man Jesse, went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. Now that's all the Bible's way of saying this. This guy, Jesse, David's daddy, was a well-respected man in the land of Israel. He was an old guy, but everybody knew who he was and he was well-respected. Can I hear an Amen. Now stay with me. I don't have time to read all of it. We're going to be done a little early tonight. Jesse comes in 1 Samuel 17 to his son David and he says this. He says, son, I want you to carry some food items that I've prepared. I want you to take them and carry them to your brothers who are fighting in King Saul's army. How many of you remember this story? 
So David puts all the food items into a carriage and he tools down to a place in the Valley of Elah called the the battlefield. And by the way, I've been there. I I saw over on the other side of the valley, the hillside where the army of the Philistines were gathered. I saw the valley in the middle. Yes, there's a brook that still runs through it. Over here's a little bit of a hillside where the army of Israel would have gathered. And David makes his way down there with these foodstuffs that his daddy has prepared for his brothers. Here's what's got David excited. He said, I want you to carry, Jesse says, these food items to your brothers, operative word here, operative word here, who are fighting, fighting, can underscore it, fighting in Saul's army. Do you understand David? Probably every Bible scholar says he may have been as young as 13. He was certainly no more than 19. So basically you got a teenage boy here being asked by his daddy to carry some food items to his brothers who are, operative word again, fighting in King Saul's army. Is everybody with me? You say, preacher, what are you getting at? Now, now men, be honest. Ladies, I, you may not be interested. My, my wife doesn't understand this. I, any of you ever watch PBR, professional bull riding? Anybody ever do that? I'm just going to tell you, my friend, I love watching stuff I'm too scared to do myself. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, and my wife, she hates the wrecks in PBR, you know, where they get bucked off. She says, honey, turn it off. I can't watch it. It's terrible. Can I tell you what I really love? I love MMA fighting. Preacher, not you. Yes. Can I tell you, if I weren't a pastor or a preacher right now, an evangelist, you know what I'd be? I'd either be an MMA fighter or I'd be a politician. And by the way, both of those are full contact sports. They really are, okay? (laughs) Really, you would? Yes, I would. Several years ago, a friend of mine who's up in uh, New Jersey, Tom's from New Jersey, he said, preacher, uh, you're coming to preach in my church. He said, if you'll stay over, the meeting ends on Wednesday, stay over an extra night. He said, I'll take you to Nick Catone's gym in Brick Township, New Jersey, and I'll let you go through the MMA workout. I said, count me in. By the way, any of you know who Nick Catone is? Anybody follow MMA fighting? Nick Catone was a world middleweight champion several years ago. Listen, this dude tore his ACL in his right knee in round number one and won the middleweight championship of the world in round number three, fighting on one leg. That's a different breed of man. Will you agree with me? I said, man, I want to meet Nick Catone. So we have the meeting. It was wonderful. Stayed over on Thursday. Pastor, the workout was at 2.30 on Thursday afternoon. I drive to Nick Catone's gym. I'm sitting in the car about 2.20. My telephone rings. It's my sweet bride. I said, hello. She said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. She said, well, I just want to remind you that you're not 20 years old anymore, (laughs) which kind of offended me a little bit, just to be honest. I said, well, honey, let me just say this. I'm not going to let these 20-somethings get anything on me. They're not going to get anything on me at all. And I heard my wife. You guys have heard your wife do this. I heard her do this. I heard her say, okay. Which means I've warned you, you're on your own now. Okay. She said, no, seriously, seriously. She said, I want you to have a great time, but please remember you do have to drive about 12 hours home after this, okay? I said, I got it. So we go inside at 2.30 for the workout. They did push-ups, no problem, done that for a long time. Did jump rope, no problem, used to do that all the time. Did some sit-ups, no problem. Preacher, I knew I was in for trouble when my friend, my friend, taped my hands up put the little MMA gloves on my hands and put me in the ring with a gentleman who is a professional MMA fighter, no joke, who outweighed me by 80 pounds. 
He said, preacher, this guy's going to teach you how to throw punches with a lot of left. I said, look, I did some boxing in high school. I know how to throw a punch. He said, not like this. You don't. Boy, he was true. He's going to teach you how to throw punches with more leverage than you've ever imagined. He's going to teach you how to kick with more leverage than you've ever imagined. And he's going to teach you how to block both punches and kicks. And you know what he did? It was amazing. Brother, it was awesome. When I walked out of the ring, I felt great. I felt so good, I went out and had a steak dinner in celebration of surviving the MMA workout. <laughs> felt awesome. Next morning, though, when I woke up, <laughs> I went to the back. Number one, it hurt to put my feet on the floor the next morning and for the five days after that, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I squirted some shaving cream into my left hand, lifted my left hand as I'm looking in the mirror to put shaving cream on my face. And preacher, I noticed this, from wrist to elbow, it wasn't blue, it was black. Black from blocking punches and kicks from a guy who's a professional MMA fighter who outweighed me by 80 pounds. Last year, my buddy up there said, hey, you wanna do the workout again? I said, nope, I already got that checked off my bucket list. I'm good to go, thank you so much. Point is this, guys love conflict, don't we? I don't mean interpersonal conflict. That's not what I mean. But I mean, we love competition. We love excelling. We love, you know, just the challenge of something. So here's a teenage boy being told, carry these food items to your brothers that are fighting in Saul's army. Do you know he is pumped? And when he arrives in the Valley of Elah, 1 Samuel 17 says, he arrives at a strategic moment when the champion of Gath, Goliath by name, steps out of the army of the Philistines, walks down into the middle of the valley and issues a challenge. By the way, the same challenge he's been issuing for 39 days up to this. This is day 40. And the challenge is this. Men of Israel, put forth your best individual warrior. Send him down into the middle of the valley. I will meet him there. We'll have hand-to-hand, one-on-one combat. If your guy defeats me, we the Philistines will be your servants. But if I defeat your guy, you have to be our servants. Give me a man that we may fight together. How many of you remember the story? You know what? When he issues that challenge, you know what the men of Israel do? Bible says they flee to their tents. They run to their houses. Close the windows and doors. Lock them. David is left standing there with the keeper of the carriage and all the men folk have gone and he's looking around preaching. It's like, where'd all the guys go? And the keeper of the carriage says, have you not took, taken a good look at that dude? Look at him. Look at him. He's 10 feet tall. He got muscles on top of him. He's got muscles that would make Arnold drew with envy. They've been fleeing for 40 days. Nobody's been willing to take him on. What I love about this is David says, in essence, well, if nobody else will take him on, I will. (laughs) Preacher, don't you love this boy? I do. Now, I want you to watch. Most people would be thrilled. Can I hear an amen? Not everybody was. I want you to look at 1 Samuel 17, look at verse number 28. When David's oldest brother, Eliab, hears what's been going on, I want you to watch Eliab's response. Now, folk, please stay with me. I'm talking to you about a man with a heart, a woman with a heart after the heart of God. What does a person like that look like? We're about to see it. Look at verse 28, 1 Samuel 17. And Eliab, his eldest brother, David's eldest brother, heard when he, David, spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Let me ask you a question. Have you noticed in America, people get angry at the wrong stuff? Pastor, I'm sorry. 
several years ago, and I'm not trying to be graphic nor gross, but uh, the, the, the folks from down there in Monroe, Louisiana, what's their names? You know, the, the duck call people, duck dynasty? Robinsons, Robert, Robertsons. One of the Robertsons, I don't even know all their names. I know just one of them started talking one day to a news reporter about what happens and what people do that practice the horrific thing called homosexuality and the world went nuts. That he described a little of it. And he said it so well when somebody called him out and said, how dare you describe that? He said, wait just a minute. He said, I didn't even venture far into what they do. He said, but what bothers me, and it bothers me too, that you're more upset that I described just a little of it than that people actually do that and more. Man, we're messed up in this country, aren't we? David shouldn't be the one that's angry, that, that the Eliab's angry at. He should be angry at the enemies of Israel who are also the enemies of God, but he's upset with his brother. I think old Eliab's a little bit uh, jealous, maybe feeling a little bad that he didn't step up and offer to fight Goliath, maybe. Maybe his younger brother's shaming him a little bit, not intentionally, but just by his actions. Look again at verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he, David, spake to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? Now watch this, this is important. Some of you have had this happen at the plant when you stand up for Jesus. Why camest thou down down hither? Look at the next phrase. And with whom, with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Hey brother, what are you doing here? And who did you leave those couple of little lambs? He's putting his brother down, trying to embarrass him. Look at the rest of it. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Well, he is partially correct about that. I'm sure David did want to see the battle. He didn't know he was going to end up having to be a participant because everybody else was a coward. Look at verse 29. I want you to watch David's response. By the way, this is always the response of a man or woman with a heart after the heart of God. Look at verse 29. And David said... What have I now done? Brother, what did I do wrong? Why are you taking me to task? Here's the great question. Look at the rest of verse number 29. Is there not a cause? Preacher, people with a heart after the heart of God are always, there's no exception to this, they're always people with a cause. And ladies and gentlemen, the cause is way bigger than you and your agenda, and your feelings. I never cease to be amazed how easily people are offended in the United States of America today. (laughs) The election didn't go the way I wanted, so now I can't take my exams in college. (laughs) Snowflakes is what they begin being called, right? Did any of you have a dad like I did? My dad was, my dad loved me. My dad was as funny as he could be, as I told you the other night. But my dad didn't raise any wimps. I went running off the football field going, Dad, I got my nose broken in three places. You know what he told me? He said, get back out there and try to avoid those places. That's what he told me. (laughs) Get back out there. I want to raise some men. Can they hear an amen? Wow. 
Is there, listen, the cause is not your comfort. The cause is not your agenda. The cause is not, well, I just want to enjoy life. No, we got a bigger cause. And the cause, first and foremost, is the cause of Christ and the gospel. Can I hear an amen? We got a world to reach, brother. And can I say this, and we won't reach the world by ourselves, and we won't do this second thing I'm about to mention by ourselves either. We gotta have the help of God supremely for both, but we've got a world to reach, and we got a country to save. Can I hear an amen? What are we talking about saying I don't, I don't have a mission? Oh, yes, we do. Preacher, right now for Dave Kisser, it's about God and country. God and country. It's about the gospel and trying to see America and our children and grandchildren have an opportunity to enjoy what we enjoyed. Wow. Brother, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Christian friend, I want to ask you something. Do you have a cause? That's bigger than you. Do you? If you don't, tonight you can get one. See, preacher, it's, 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 we're way past. We're way past. Time for us to straighten our spine and become men and women of God and have a cause bigger than just what I want. The American dream. Listen, folks, almost everyone of us in here have lived a good portion of it. But there's more to life than just fulfilling the American dream. Finish line's in view. The goal line's just ahead, we said last night. I want to run hard all the way across the goal line. Are you with me? Do you have a cause? A person with a heart after the heart of God is a person with a cause. Now, look up at me. I I could read. I'm not going to read the rest of it. But word gets to King Saul about David's willingness to fight Goliath. Now I'm going to modernize it. Over here, Saul, he's hiding out in his tent. Here comes a servant, king, king, king. King, you're not going to believe this. We finally, finally, finally found a taker for the big dude. Really? Bring me, bring me this seasoned warrior. So they go to retrieve David, the shepherd boy. Now remember, he's from 13 to 19, somewhere in there. Do you know how the Bible in 1 Samuel 17 describes David? The Bible says he was ready. Word ready means red, red. And I used to read that and think, you know, like our son, our son Nathan, when he was a little boy, he had the reddest cheeks, like somebody had been pounding him in the face. I mean, just red cheeks, little round circles right here. I thought maybe that's what David had. You know, he was red here. Well, the, the, the implication of the word is he wasn't just red skin tone. He was all over with all. He was with all ready, which means he was all over. Some Bible scholars believe not only he had red skin tone, he may have had red hair which would have made him look distinctly different than all the other men of Israel. Young men who would have dark complexion, dark eyes, dark hair, if he had red skin tone and red hair, he would have stood out. Is everybody with me? He was ready. Here comes the next phrase. I love this one. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, he was of a fair countenance. What does that mean? It's a Hebrew phrase that means this. Literally, he hadn't begun shaving yet. So get the picture. Here is a red skin tone, perhaps red-headed, peached, fuzzed face kid. And he's brought into King Saul's tent. King, here he is. This is the guy going to take down the big dude. You know what King Saul does? He says what everybody else is thinking. I'm going to quote him directly. He says in 1 Samuel 17, Son, thou art not able to fight him, for thou art but a youth. 
And he is a man of war from his youth. Plain English, plain, plain Union Grove, North Carolina English. Son, he's been fighting longer than you've been alive. You don't stand a chance. Everybody with me? Now, if David had been a Baptist, he wouldn't have done what he did. No, he'd have probably done the opposite. If David was a Baptist, he'd have probably said, well, you know what, King, you're making a palatable case, a powerful case. Yeah, I don't stand a chance. Let me head home, right? But he wasn't a Baptist preacher. He looks at King Saul, teenage boy. I love this. I'm going to modernize it. He says, King, I don't think you understand my God. Folk, I'm sorry. I don't think you understand my God. I serve an awesome God. So do you. Do you realize how awesome? He's amazing. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What are we afraid of? By the way, during COVID, Brandon, I adopted this phrase. I got it from my pastor friend at Drexel Memorial Baptist, Brother Lonnie Brown. He said, preacher, what's everybody so afraid of? He said, all we're going to do if we die is live forever. (laughs) Every time I see him, he says, we just going to live forever, preacher. How's that bad? If you're saved, you're going to live forever in heaven. Can I hear an amen? Wow. No, what David says is, I don't think you understand my God. See, I've been tending my daddy's sheep. And on two occasions, one time it was a lion, another time it was a bear. They came and took away some of the flock. In fact, with a bear one, I love the bear one. He said, I had to track that old boy down. By the way, I know he wasn't a Baptist. You know what Baptists do? They protect what they got. Somebody leaves, let them go. Just protect what we got. David watched a bear carry off one of his sheep. He said, guys, I'll be right back. He says it to their sheep. He says, what do you think you're doing? He chases a bear down, extracts the sheep out of his mouth, kills them. I like this boy, don't you? King, one time it was a lion. Another time it was a bear. But my God used me to kill a lion and a bear. And sir, if you'll just give me permission and turn me loose, the big mouth dude over there will be just like one of them. Can I hear an amen? Wow. To which, I love this story, to which King Saul says this. Well, you're going to need, you're going to need some protection. Hey, bring my armor. How many of you remember this? They put it on David. By the way, the Bible, the Bible says King Saul from his shoulders upward was taller than all the other men of Israel. He's the natural guy to be fighting the 10-foot tall dude, right? But he's hiding in his tent. So they put Saul, who's head and shoulders taller than everybody else, they put his armor on a teenage boy. Do you know David could have moved his family into the armor with him? He's respectful for a preacher. He's definitive. He says, King, with all due respect, thank you, but no thank you. He said, I've never, I've never, the phrase in the King, I love the word, I've never proved this, which means I've never waged warfare one time wearing this. Thank you, sir, but get it off me. To which King Saul says, well, son, what are you going to fight with? And David holds up a sling and a stone. By the way, I don't mean a slingshot. Is there a Cabela's near here? Charlotte. Have any of you been men to Cabela's? Is that man heaven or what? It's man heaven, isn't it? There's got to be a corner of heaven got a Cabela's somewhere in there. I'm just telling you. 
I was at the one in Huntington, West Virginia, and do you know what, preacher? They had slingshots like I'd never seen. We used to make our own. I did cut the dogwood limb down, you know, skin, put little marks on it off, and you know, take the, you know, the Y of the limbs, a hand, handle down here, and you cut it off and have a Y cut it off up here. He'd take military issue string and pull the Y in on the top of it so it kind of was not a Y, kind of a U, and he'd bake it in the oven for two hours and take it out of the oven, take the string off. It didn't snap back in a Y. It kind of stayed, you know, like a U, and he'd put, you know, a, a, some type of high-quality rubber and cut an old tongue out of a tennis shoe, you know, to make a pouch, and then he'd say, boys, go have fun. And boy, did we ever. I paid for more windows than I care to tell you about <laughs> growing up. At Cabela's, I saw something I'd never seen before. They had wrist rockets, they called them, made out of metal, high-quality tubular rubber, high-quality pouch. It's got a little brace, and you flip it back, and it's got a brace that goes on your forearm right there. Anybody know what I'm talking about, men? As I'm, I'm getting acclimated to that, you know, a, a salesman walks by and said, sir. I said, I'm going to put it back, I promise. He said, no, 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 no. He said, feel free to look at it. He said, I just want to let you know that that slingshot, that wrist rocket will fire, I love this word, a projectile. It will fire a projectile out of it almost, not quite, but almost at the same velocity is a 22 bullet. I said, really? Where were these when I was growing up? <laughs> By the way, you almost have to take out a second mortgage on your house to buy one of them, though. So I declined. David doesn't have one of those, and he doesn't have one like we used to make. It's not a slingshot, it's a sling. It's tightly wound goat hair into a long strand Strand here, strand here. The longer the strands are, the more velocity you can get when you start rotating. Down here at the bottom is a pouch made out of leather, but most of the time it was kind of a mesh pouch also made out of goat hair. And you insert a rock, stretch those two strands here, hold the rock, take it up over your head, start rotating. And every skilled sling thrower, which David was, knew when to let go of the index finger, releasing one of the strands of goat hair. And if you know what you're doing, it hurled a rock at phenomenal velocity at a target. Preacher, did you try it when you were in Israel? We did. If you know what you're doing, you can be deadly with one of those. If you don't know what you're doing, you can kill yourself. I'm thankful my hair covers the welts I've got from trying and not knowing what I was doing. How did they do that? Do you know what the Bible says about David and other sling throwers? They could hurl a stone with their right hand or their left hand. You talk about a tight grouping. They could do it right-handed, left-handed. Listen to this, within a hair's breadth. Have you pulled a hair out and measured that? That's a pretty tight grouping. Wouldn't you agree? David knows what he's doing. King, I'm going to take him down with this and a rock. To which King Saul, I love this, King Saul says, and I'm quoting him, he says, go and the Lord be with thee. Only he wouldn't have said it like I said it because he's the king. You know, the king's got the low, deep, guttural Darth Vader voice, right? That's the king's voice. Go. I love this. And the Lord be with thee. 
Don't you love that? The Lord. Forgive me, forgive me. You ever heard somebody pray that way? I mean, they talk normal like this when they're talking to you, but it comes time to pray. Oh, Lord. We humbly beseech thee that thou wouldest. Can I just be honest, preacher? When somebody talks different in their prayer than they talk normally, I'm sorry. I take my hand, put it on my wallet, and hold on to it. Because that's weird. That is weird. Listen, we, we don't have to impress the Lord with our prayer. Can I hear an amen? Peter is about to sink when he got out of the boat. He didn't have, oh, Lord, if thou wouldst. He just said, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. Can I hear an amen? Wow. I'm not saying be disrespectful, but we don't have to impress God. Go, and the Lord be with thee. I used to read that and think, well, he's wishing a blessing on David. Not really. What he means by that, go and the Lord be with thee, he means this, it's going to have to be God that's with you because we're out of here. So it's just David and God. You know what my dad used to tell me? He said, son, don't ever tell me, well, everybody else is doing it. You know what he told me first time I tried that on him? He said, yes, son, and almost everybody else is going to hell too because they are. Does that mean you want to go? How do you argue with that one? He said, son, let me tell you something. You and God make a majority. You and God make a majority. You don't need anybody else but God. Now, if some people join you, that's icing on your cake. But you and God are enough. Go and the Lord be with thee. And he walks out of King Saul's tent, goes down into the middle of the valley of Elah. By the way, when I was there, there is a brook that still runs through the valley. Preacher, you know when you were in Israel, there's some places they think this is where the event happened and it may have happened, could have been somewhere else. But the valley of Elah, I don't know if you went there, but they believe this is the place. It has to be this one. It's the only spot with a brook through the middle of the valley. Over there's a hillside, just like the Bible describes. Over here's a hillside. This is the place. So if you're wondering, yes, I did. I got me five smooth stones out of the brook. Stuck them in my pocket. Got them through security at the airport. (laughs) Lined them up on my desk in Connolly Springs. Right there they are. Yeah, David goes down in the middle of the valley, stops, chooses five smooth stones, pouches four, inserts one into sling. Let me ask you a question. Why five stones? He's only got one target. Yeah, A plus. Bible says he had four other brothers equally as tall as him. Now, I want you to stay with me. This is important. David is not unsure of his aim. If you can hurl a stone right-handed or left-handed within a hair's breadth, you know what you're doing. So he's not worried about hitting his target. He's thinking this, I'm here. They're here. There's no need for a return trip. Just take the whole clan out while I'm here, shall we? (laughs) I like how the boy thinks, don't you? Five smooth stones and advances toward Goliath. Now, folks, stay with me. I want to show you. The person with a heart after the heart of God, whether it's male or female, is an individual with a cause, number two. Please write this down. They're a person of courage. People with a heart after the heart of God are people with phenomenal courage. 
Preacher, think of what it took for a teenage boy who had never even been on a battlefield. But he had God. And that makes all the difference. And he's so filled with courage because he's seen what God's done in the past that he says, just let me at him. Let me at him. Wouldn't it be awesome if Calvary Baptist Church tonight just said, Lord, let me add a lost world to love it and try to lead the people that are unsaved to Jesus. Let me at my country so that I can do my part to try to save this country in the power of your precious Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? amen. Turn me loose, Lord. Well, nobody knows who I am. I'm just over here in the country. You know what? God specializes in taking nobodies and turning them into somebodies. I love that song. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul ever since he rescued me and gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Man, what people need to see after this week is the awesome power of Jesus in your life. Courage. What are you afraid of? Well, I, they might look at me wrong at work if I start talking about Jesus. Big whoop. Can I tell you where I'm going to be doing about 6 o'clock Saturday night? My Alabama Crimson Tide play Utah State. I, I apologize for this. I'm sorry. Do we have any Bama fans in here? Roll Tide, Roll Tide. Okay, from here on out, if you say amen, it's not amen, it's roll tide. Okay, there we go, all right? You know what? I am unashamed to walk up. My brother here knows this. I'm unashamed to walk up to my Georgia buddies, and I love them. He had his Georgia shirt on. I said, man, that's an awesome Alabama shirt you got on right there. And we've laughed and had a great time all week. Listen, you know what? He's not ashamed of Georgia. I'm not ashamed of Alabama. You know why? Because those are our teens, Right? You know what? We ought not ever be ashamed of Jesus. Well, they might look at me wrong. I'm not saying be unkind. It's not Christian to be unkind. But you ought not be afraid either. Man, what God needs right now are some men and women with a heart after His heart who are infused with Holy Spirit courage. There's one final thing It'll tell you if you're a person or if you're in the presence of a person with a heart after the heart of God. Not only do they have a cause and courage, number three, I want you to look at verse 51. Remember the story? David winds up. God says now, he lets go. Rock, hits Goliath right in the middle of the forehead and sank into his forehead. Do you remember this? Preacher, I would give anything to have been a fly on a Jewish tent wall that day. As Goliath teeters and hits the ground, the servant goes, king, 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 king. Little guy, big guy, down. You've got to come see this. You know what the Bible says? David doesn't have a sword. He didn't pack one. So he runs and stands on Goliath and takes his sword out and cut off Goliath's head and held it up. And the route is on. By the way, I want to say something. In today's world, me even describing that, he cut off Goliath's head and held it up. Oh. Oh. The, 
quivering lip. The preacher was promoting violence. Is that where we are? Lord, have mercy. Everybody gets a trophy. Because we don't want anybody offended. We don't want to keep score because, you know, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. What? You know what my dad used to say? Boys, if it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, why do they keep score? Yes, it matters. You know what my dad, how many remember Snoopy and his dog house? How many remember that? My dad bought my brother a big, massive poster and framed it, put it up in our bedroom. Snoopy, he's storming off the tennis court with his broken tennis racket in his hand and the bubble above his head says this, it doesn't matter if you win or lose until you lose. <laughs> my dad said, boys, you're in the game. May as well win it. I love that. I want you to watch something. Cuts off Goliath's head, the route's on. Look at verse 51. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him, that is Goliath, cut off his head therewith. Now I want you to watch this. This is an amazing thing. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they did what? Shoom. By the way, these guys have been taunting in the background Israel for 40 days. But when their dude goes down. By the way, I love this too, preacher, about David. Earlier in the chapter, as he goes out to fight Goliath, Goliath looks at David and puts him down and curses him. Do you know what David does? He talks a little smack. He does. Goliath says, I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven. Goliath says, David says, oh, contraire, sir, excuse me, you got that backwards. I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of heaven. And all the earth's going to know there's a God in Israel. He talks some smack. Tells him what he's going to do and then does it. By the way, if you read the entire thing, he says, I'm going to smite you. I don't want to take your head from you. And all the earth is going to know it was God in heaven that did it. So, I want you to watch this. People with a heart after the heart of God are people with a cause, courage, vitally important, number three. People with a heart after the heart of God are people who command respect. I don't say demand respect. I said they command it. Some of you have worked for a boss who demands certain things from you and from the employees. He doesn't live up to the things he expects out of the employees, but he demands it out of them. He intimidates them until he gets it. And then you've worked for people like I have who command your respect. They don't demand anything. Just their sheer integrity causes you to want to follow them. Can I hear an amen? This is David. These Philistines see this is not just any young man. He's got God on his side. And they take off running. Now, that's amazing, but I want you to look at verse 54. This is even more amazing. In fact, excuse me, verse 52. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose. Preacher, these guys have been cowering in their tents for 40 days. 
They get up. Look what else? They don't stop there. The men of Israel and Judah arose. And they, would you say the next word? They did what? Shouted. Watch this. And they did what? Third thing. Pursued. They chased the Philistines until they'll come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Now, folk, look up at me and I'm done. When we boarded the bus after I got to preach in the valley of Elah on David and Goliath, boy, you talk about a, you talk about a scene watching it, looking at it, and talking about what happened there. Man, it just came alive. When we got back to our bus, I asked the bus driver, I said, sir, I got a question for you. How far is it from right here where David killed Goliath to the city of Ekron? Because the city of Ekron is still there. It's in the same location it was in Bible times. How far is it from here to Ekron? You know what the bus driver told me? He said, sir, it is 18 miles. I said, run that by me again. He said, it's 18 miles. I said, you mean to tell me the men of Israel led by a teenage boy chased those birds 18 miles? The answer is yes, they did. And the slain of the Philistines fell down by the way. Wow. Wow. Hear me and I'm through. Yesterday, I spent a portion of my afternoon mowing the grass at our house. Preacher, does your grass grow like ours does? It sure does. Your pastor's grass grows too. There's not an S on my chest underneath my shirt, not one on his. And preacher, our grass doesn't stop growing just because we got other stuff to do in the ministry, does it? Nope. I was mowing my yard and I was looking across to my neighbor's house Although it was heartbreaking when they came and told us we're going to be relocating to the coast and we're not sure if we're going to keep the house here or sell it. And we're going, oh no, please. Please, you guys aren't leaving. They're wonderful people. We've lived there for 30 years. For the first, I'm guessing, 20 of those 30 years. We tried, but we could never get to know them. They had kids that were in sports. We had kids and they weren't in sports. We were traveling all over America and I was preaching all over the country and around the globe and We weren't there. There was one time we didn't see our house for seven months. We did not see our house for seven months. So we didn't get to know our neighbors. But about three years ago, I was mowing my yard. And Don Price, the husband, came walking across the yard. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I had not seen Don in so long. I didn't recognize who he was. And finally, it hit me. That's Don Price. Dave, that's your neighbor, dummy. That's your neighbor. I said, Don, so good to see you. He said, preacher, uh, he said, I was at First Baptist in Hildebrand when you preached there two weeks ago. I said, really, what night were you there? He said, I was there on Tuesday night. I said, Don, I didn't even see you. He said, no, he said, that's okay. He said, the place was packed. And sure enough, it was. There wasn't a seat left anywhere. I said, man, if I'd have seen you, I'd have come up and talked to you. No, it's okay. He said, there were a lot of other people there. And he said, it's no problem. But he said, I just want to tell you something. He said, I've been driving back and forth from here to the coast to our new house. And he said, I've been going online and listening to all your sermons. He said, preacher, can I tell you something? I never knew. I never knew all these years what you did. But he said, I want to tell you something. You don't know how much I respect you. He said, in fact, I'm really here to ask you to do something for me. He said, I'm head of the Rotary Club in town. Here's the way he worded it. Would you come speak to the Rotary Club? In fact, he said, just come preach to us. I said, really? 
Rotary Club? He said, yeah. I said, I can preach. He said, just preach. I said, I'm in. When do you want me to do it? He gave me a date. I happened to be in town that Friday. So I went. And preacher, I just preached to the Rotary Club. And God met with us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. When I walked out to get in my car and drive home, Don walked out with me that night. Don's not an emotional kind of guy. I've never seen this side of him. But I said, Don, thank you for the honor to speak tonight. He said, put the hand away. And he put his arms around me. He's a big old guy. And he just bear hugged me. He said, preacher, I want to tell you something. I love you. I love you. He said, I never knew what you did. But he said, I've listened to every sermon you've got online that I could find. And I want you to know, I'd follow you to the gates of hell. I said, Don, number one, that is the most humbling thing I've ever been told. But I want you to know I appreciate what you're saying. Follow Jesus to the gates of hell. Because that's what the Bible means. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We ought to be bombarding the gates of hell. And they don't stand a chance against a person with a heart after the heart of God. Do you have it? And if you don't, do you want it? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, would you speak to us tonight? Lord, I have no way of expressing to these, my dear friends, that I love so much just what may be coming down the pike. Lord, what I'm praying will come is revival. And Lord, as we talked about last night, we've kind of hinted at and discussed a little bit all week. You've been doing some things in this country. The media doesn't talk about it. They don't report on it because they don't care about it. But Lord, you've never used the majority to accomplish anything. You've always used a very dedicated minority. You took 30,000 in Gideon's army and culled them down to 300 so it would be obvious, God, that you gave the victory. You've always used a minority of people. And so, Lord, I pray tonight those in this room that know you as Savior would understand their insignificance, seemingly so, in the eyes of the world, means nothing to you. Because you take the insignificant and make it significant. Because you display your power through individuals who have a heart or at least want to have one after your very heart. Father, I pray tonight every man and woman, young person in this room that knows you would desire to be a modern day David with a heart after the very heart of their Savior. A person that has a cause bigger than just them. A person that's infused with Holy Spirit courage. And a person who commands the respect both of the pagans and the family of God. Just like David did. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do. Now friends, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 
I want to ask the most important question by far. Is there anyone in this room that does not know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? You don't know for sure that your sin's forgiven. You don't know that you're on your way to heaven yet. Friend, if you don't know that, you can know before the night's over. By the way, if you're watching online tonight, you're not sure you're saved, born again, forgiven. You can know you're going to heaven. You can know it. You can know it. Preacher, how do I know? How can I know? Right where you are, watching on your computer, cell phone, personal device, right here in the auditorium, you could simply do this, friend. You could just, with your head bowed, silently but sincerely, watching online there in your bedroom or your living room at your kitchen table, you could simply do this. You could simply ask Jesus to forgive and save you. How do I do that, Dave? You could do it like this. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If you want to be saved, you could pray it after me. There's no magic in the words. Jesus saves those that will put their faith and trust in Him and will call upon Him. You could do that right now. You could simply pray, Dear Jesus, admit I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. So I'm asking you to forgive me. Come into my heart and life and save me. Wash away my sin. Save my soul. Give me the assurance, Jesus, Jesus, of an eternity with you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your salvation. Now help me to live for you the rest of my life. Now if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer in your minute from your heart, there's a number now on the screen that you can call. We have folks waiting at the phone to pick up when you dial in and they'll converse with you pray with you and they'd love to send something to you to help you in your new walk with Jesus Christ. Here in the church auditorium tonight, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to do that. I just want to know how to pray for you moving forward. If there's anyone in the room, man, woman, young person, that prayed that prayer tonight and asked Jesus to forgive and save you, if you did that tonight, well, I'm the only one looking Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I appreciate your cooperation. If you prayed that prayer tonight, you meant it from your heart, and you asked Jesus to forgive and save you. If you did that, just so that I might know how to rejoice with you, I wonder if right now you'd lift your hand long enough for me to see it. I'll take note of it. Not going to embarrass you. just want to know how to pray for you moving forward. Anybody? Anybody do that? All right, one final question. It's rubber meets the road time, friends. Do you want to have a heart after the heart of God? Do you want God to use you beyond anything you've ever imagined in these strategic days? He will. But you've got to have a heart after His heart. You've got to at least want to have it and start the process toward it. The Bible says, as the deer pants after the water brooks. By the way, it was David who said this. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. Like a deer thirst for a brook of water, I thirst for you, God. That drove David to meet with God every day. He pursued it. There's a lot of hunting terminology there, like tracking a deer, 
like a deer would track and look and search for a body of water. David said, I'm tracking and searching and trying to find you, God. You find God in the Word, folks. You pursue Him. You know what happens? He gives you a cause bigger than just you. Fuses you with courage. And then uses you to command respect of the lost world and the saved world. Is that what you want, folk? I want that more than I want to take my next breath. So tonight I'm going to ask you something and I want you just to quietly stand to your feet with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Father, help now. Help, Lord, because this is the crowning moment of this week thus far. Help us, O oh God, to obey the still small voice of your Spirit at this critical moment. If you as a man, as a young man, as a woman, as a young lady, if you'd be willing, unashamed, unafraid to say, not to me, but to the Lord tonight, Lord, I get this. I get this. I want to have courage and a cause bigger than me, and I want to command the respect of those around me for your glory. Lord, I want to have a heart after your heart. And tonight, I'm not afraid or ashamed to admit that, I want to have a heart after the very heart of God. If that's you, I wonder if you'd be willing to do this, sir, ma'am, young man, young lady. I wonder if you'd be willing to step out from where you're currently standing. Come down around this altar and here at the altar tell God that, Lord, I'm going to pursue you from this night forward because I want to have a heart after your very heart. Would you do that tonight? God bless you guys, ladies, young men, young ladies. Thank God for you. God, I want to have a heart after your very heart. And I want you to use me like you used David. I want to have a cause bigger than just me. I want to be infused with Holy Spirit courage. And I want to command the respect of everyone around me because they see you in me. I want to have a heart after your heart, God. Anybody else want to join us around the altar tonight? This is your moment. Oh Lord, I'm asking tonight that if we meet again this side of eternity, whether I see any of the members of this church out at a shopping mall or Lord, I'm back here again or somehow some way we converse on the telephone father whatever if we have an encounter again before you come back i pray lord we would all be found closer to you than we've ever been with a heart after your very heart passionately pursuing you greatly being used of you in these incredibly important days and father may it be so you take us home to be with you. Lord, should we not meet again here on earth, but we meet in heaven. Father, I pray as we meet around the throne, adoring and praising the matchless name of our Savior. Father, I pray we'll be able to say that our entrance into heaven was glorious because we had a heart of pursuing you. And Lord, you were using us in a great way.
when you called us home. And Father, for this, we'll give you glory, praise, and thanksgiving. Bless now as Pastor Steve comes to close the service. Guide him by your spirit is my prayer. In the matchless name of Jesus, I do pray.